The following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. begin with a synopsis from Sarasota Opera House. Scene 1. A wood near Attila's camp. Looking at the clouds, Odabella thinks she sees the images of her deceased father and Foresto. Foresto enters, disguised as a barbarian, and condemns Odabella for betraying their love. Distraught by this rejection, she explains that like the biblical Judith, she will kill their enemy, Attila, with his own sword. Odabella and Foresto renew their vow of love. Scene 2. Attila's Tent Attila awakes from a restless sleep and cries out for Odino. The king describes how he saw an old man stop his path to Rome. Regaining his senses, Attila commands the trumpets to sound the call for war. From the distance comes voices praising God. An old man, Leon, enters with his followers and tells Attila that his path to Rome is barred. Terrified, the king realizes that Leon's words are the very ones from his dream. After Attila sees bad omens in the sky, he prostrates himself on the ground. Some of you have asked, who is the hero? Who is the villain? We study in our tradition, Hasnamusen. This is a term given by Gurdjieff. Beings with a split polarity. Part of them is in heaven. Part of them is in hell. This explains the strange dichotomy of Attila. Who we know represents the sphere of Tiferet, the beauty of the consciousness, the human warrior, the willpower, the scourge of God. Tiferet in this opera is risen, meaning this initiate Attila achieved the first five initiations of major mysteries. He is a master. He has incarnated Christ. However, this is the beginning of mastery. The individual must eliminate the entirety of the ego, that which makes this figure repulsive to Udabella, to Foresto, to the Christians. This is a very precarious state because while the initiate has solar bodies, the armament of Athena, vehicles given from God, solar astral, solar mental, solar calls of bodies, still this individual has impurity. One foot is in heaven, the other is in hell. This explains why Attila is condemned. 
and yet he is the hero of the opera. He is a Hasna Moose. His inner being is great. As said, and as well as the top trinity of the tree of life, which is a symbol or representation of Christ, the being. His inner being is a master, has titles, initiations, powers. But his human soul, Tifret, while upright, is still with hell inside. This initiate must learn to descend into his own infernos, his own ego, his own imperfections, so that they can be perfectly removed. When the consciousness is free from every defect, you have a perfect master, fully self-realized. But in the process, if we reach this stage of initiation, we are really a Hasna Moose. We look at the Sanskrit syllables, ha, a particle expressing sorrow, dejection, pain, asna, voracious, eating, consuming, or a stone. Moose, mouse, thief. What is a hasna moose? A being who, like a mouse, a thief who voraciously eats consumes a stone with dejection, sorrow, and pain. How does a master experience pain? Knowing heaven, they know that they have faults. They know heaven, but they are still filled with desire. And therefore, they feel great sorrow. They have raised the stone of Yasad, the creative energies of the ovaries or testicles, the stones, the testes, which give testimony, the energies that enlighten the human soul. Still, the initiate knows that if he or she does not eliminate the ego, the consequences are by far much worse. With great power comes great responsibility, which is why mastery is rare. More so, perfection in mastery is even more rare. Attila is a thief. He is stealing or trying to steal the kingdom of heaven. Think of a thief both positively and negatively, as in the two thieves crucified at the side of Jesus, the bad thief who is condemned for his crimes, the ego, and the good thief which says, pray for me so that I may be with you on the day of judgment. Who is a good thief? The soul that steals the creative sexual energy for God, stealing fire from the devil. But if we give in to ego, the ego steals the fire. And then we fail. Obviously, there are degrees to this. But Attila, in synthesis, is a Hasna Moose. A double polarity. He is good and he is evil. But he wants to achieve the heights. So in the beginning of this Act 1, we have a beautiful invocation to the elements and to Foresto through Odabella. Odabella, we mentioned, is beautiful Ida, Bella, the beautiful creative power of sex that has risen in the spine of the initiates as the sword of Kundalini. So she has been captured. She is Attila's slave. And she weeps because that power of God suffers in the initiate because of the ego. So Zain, Odabella, beautiful Ida, is risen in the spine of Attila. And yet she suffers, that energy suffers because the master is imperfect. There must be perfection in order for the soul to be united. And this is the great drama. She is within the initiate, and yet she says, I must kill Attila. The master's ego must die. 
But interestingly enough, she prays to the elements and to Foresto. This is very beautiful because we've mentioned that initiation relates to conquering the four elements, representing the lower four bodies of the tree of life. Malkut, the earth. Yasod, the waters. Hod, the fire. Netzach, the air. And Tiferet, willpower, is Akash. Akash is an element, the fifth element. The fire of God, which actually resides even more so in Giburah, divine justice. The fifth element that is love, that controls all four and makes them pure. That is Odabella, Giburah. Foresto, we mentioned, is relating to the forests, the elements. And we mentioned the elemental advocate. We have a part of our being that has knowledge of all of the mysteries of the elemental kingdoms. When we were evolving as a soul within the lower levels of Malkut, whether from the plant, or better said, mineral, plant, animal, and now humanoid kingdoms, in relation to transmigration of souls. This elemental being, Foresto, is pure. He also carries a sword, as you see in the opera. This is because when we perform prayers like circles of protection, conjurations, we invoke our elemental advocate to command the forces of nature inside and out. This is the flaming sword of the Kerubim that guarded the way to the tree of life. That fire is the Kundalini. And so our elemental advocate has more power as we're transmuting. So, Odabella praises the elements. In her solitude, she's able to have a reprieve. She does not need to perform or defend herself amongst the barbarians. Weep freely now. Throw off restraint, O heart. At this silent hour when even tigers rest. I alone wander from place to place. And yet I have been waiting and praying for this hour forever. In that fleeting cloud is your image not imprinted, O Father. Heavens, the image has changed. This is my foresto. O stream, pause your murmuring. Air, stop blowing, so that I may hear the voice of my beloved spirits. We mentioned previously that if you have experiences in the astral dimension and you're asking for clarification on the state of your mind, look to the horizon. Cloudy, the mind is obscured. If there's a sun rising, something is being born. If the sun sets, something must die. Stars, spiritual ascension. Dark storms, ego, sleep. O stream, pause your murmuring. Air, stop blowing, so that I may hear the voice of my beloved spirits. There's a great relationship between Odabella, the up, Right sexual force, sword of the Kundalini, and the elements of nature. We conquer the four elements through Zain, Kundalini. And in the heavens is where, in the astral plane, where we can see images given to us by divinity, what we must do in our practical life. But Foresta was furious. She shuns or he shuns his beloved, his spouse, Odabella, his partner. He accuses her of betraying his love because within any initiate, divinity accuses us because we have defect. As much as we may be noble in our aspirations and our yearning for transformation, Divinity holds us accountable. It says, you are imperfect. You have error. You have lust. You are betrothed or you are mixing with this demon, Attila. The human soul or the defects of the human soul. And Odabella obviously is hurt. How can you distrust me? Because... This sexual force, when it is risen, is loyal to God. But when it is fallen, is the kunda buffer, 
mentioned by your Jeff. It is the sword of demons. But she's upright. So she says, you shouldn't be mad at me. I am loyal to you. It's interesting. Foresto is in love with Odabella. Attila is in love with Odabella. It's because any real master is in love with the upright fire. And the elements of nature are pleased by chastity, by purity. Foresto states, Yes, look at who I am, the one whom you betrayed, faithless one. Here among the cups and the songs, you smile upon the murderer. And the thought of your fatherland and ashes does not even come into your mind, nor your dying father and his anguish and misery. We mentioned that Od and Obd can mean witness, can mean helper. What does it mean to have faith? To give testimony, to witness. You are faithless, he says. Meaning you're the two witnesses that are in the spine that are upright, saying that you are mixed. Your vision is unclear. You smile upon the murderer because any bodhisattva, a master who has once risen, may have fallen. When masters fall, they murder their god, which is the birth of Nietzsche's trope, God is dead as he states in Thus Spoke Zarathustra. The thought of your fatherland and ashes doesn't even come into your mind. No, your dying father, your being, in his anguish. People who fornicate kill God. The meaning is that if we misuse the creative force, we murder our own being, the potential for divinity to express so he's accusing her. You are not a faithful witness. You're not pure and objective in the spine of this initiate because he has ego and he needs to die if this whole mess is going to be reconciled. But she pleads with him because she is honest. She loves the human soul really deep down, but she detests the impurity of Attila because she is in him. Wound me with your dagger, not with your words, Foresto. Do not curse a wretched person. This is a cruel trick. Father, you can read right into my heart from heaven. I'll tell him that I'm longing for full vengeance in my heart. So she relates a beautiful story from the Old Testament. The story of Judith as a source of comfort for him, saying that I am loyal to you, Foresto. The superior elements of nature in the being. Foresto, do you remember Judith who saved Israel from that day when she wept for you, fallen with her father on the field of glory? Ordovella swore to the Lord that she would repeat the story of Judith. I'll explain to you what that story is. In the apocryphal book of Judith, a Jewish widow murders an Assyrian general to save her town from invasion. Yudit seduces the general Holofernes in the siege city of Bethulia, murdering him in his sleep. This assassination gave the Israelites the upper hand against the Assyrians. These are symbols. These are Kabbalah. Who is Israel? Jacob wrestled with an angel. Jacob is Tifereth, the human soul. That angel is Samael. Meaning, when any master controls the sexual energy and conquers it, Samael, the angel, blesses the initiate and says, You are no longer Jacob. You are Israel. Isis, Ra'el. The divine mother. The fire of Osiris, Ra, the Christ. And El, Chesed. Because that monad, the spirit and the divine soul, Hesed and Geburah, are united. So Attila accomplished this. He conquered his own Samael at a certain level. But now he is working to conquer the rest of his lust. And the way that will happen is if Odabella 
Foresto and the other people conspiring for his death succeed. So, what does Judith do? She tempts Polyphanes and murders him in his sleep. Odabella is explaining, I will kill with his own sword, this barbarian. Doesn't mean he's going to kill or she is going to kill the soul. She is going to kill the ego within Attila. And so they're going to free Israel, all the parts of the soul, which must be commanded by Tifereth. The people of Israel in the Bible represent the forces of the elements and the psyche, which must be unified, which must achieve their exodus and return from exile back to their original homeland. The absolute. So, Odabella and Foresto rejoice because they're on the same page. She didn't betray him. But any initiate experiences this conflict in themselves when raising the fire. Because part of us is pure, and a lot of us is degenerated. And there's a great moment of suffering with that. But Odabella exclaims, Look, this is the monster's sword. It is the Lord's will. Because his own kundalini is going to kill him, kill his ego. So they have a beautiful aria together. And much of their verses explain the beauty of the perfect matrimony. How this work is going to be accomplished. They explain that in their embrace, their union, all their sorrow will be scattered. They are one hope and their one vow unites them. Because two wretched people are made whole. Because by working together, husband and wife, they become one flesh. As they sing, O oh, immense boundless joy, intoxicate yourself in this embrace. In this moment granted to us, our present sorrows are scattered. Here the lives of two wretched ones are merged into a single life. One hope, one single vow revives and consoles us. What does it mean to be intoxicated? The Sufis speak about being drunk on God. Because the wine of the sexual transmuted energy inebriates the soul and gives it great ecstasy. This is accomplished when man and woman control the energy, embrace with chastity. Not abstention from sex, purity in sex. That is the force, the sword of the warrior, the Valkyria, that scatters all sorrow. Whereby two individuals who suffer the karma of their life have happiness and peace. And that their single vow of sexual purity revives and consoles them. Because it is through the purity of the sexual force that is going to kill the impurity. It's going to slay Attila, his ego. In the next scene, Attila has a dream. Uldino is present. We mentioned Uldino is an anagram. Daniel, the same Hebrew letters of Uldino, can be switched around to make Daniel, Daniel, with two vavs left over because the vav is a spinal column. When husband and wife raise the fire of the Holy Spirit in their vav, you have the power of Don, judgment, or Deen, in Arabic, religion. It's interesting that Uldino is present when he dreams. Where Attila gives a narration about how he confronted a very powerful figure. He said that his voice was like the wind in a cave. But Uldino says, O king, all around is silence. They're all in the footsteps of the watchful guard. So dreams, obviously, are premonitions from divinity, or can be, as we explain in dream yoga and astral travel. So this vision is very powerful. His voice was like the wind in a cave, and yet Udino says it is silent here. This is the voice of the silence. In the silence of the mind and the heart, visions enter the psyche. 
without expectation. They emerge, they sustain, we become the witness and the spectator and the participant in the visions pass, whether we're meditating or dreaming. And in this dream, this wisdom is given to him through the silence of his heart. Amongst the watchful guard, by guarding ourselves, our heart, from negative thoughts, feelings, impulses, we can hear the voice of the silence. There's an interesting verse from the book of Kings, which synthesized this mystery. The still silent voice within the cave heard by Elijah. Eliyah. Eliyaho. To take the Hebrew and make it Latin. God or my God is Yah. Keter. The Father. So this voice emerges within a cave and in the elements and represents the human individual in many levels of being. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before Jehovah. And behold, Jehovah passed by and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before Yodhava, Jehovah. But Jehovah was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But Jehovah was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But Jehovah was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. This passage in itself is very alchemical. The earth is the physical body. The cave is our mind. So in the wind, as we're practicing alchemy or transmutation, you work with the breath. You use your breathing and prayer and vocalizations to take the energies of sex and elevate them to the mind and then to the heart. But Jehovah is not in the wind alone. And if you're working with alchemy, you have the added fire of the Holy Spirit, power of a volcano. And there's a prayer in the exorcism of fire which says, Samael, king of volcanoes. And earthquakes, because the power of fire in the earth is Samael. And the human body is the earth. Where do we have a volcano in us is obviously the fire of sex. But how do we use it? And when a couple is united, they control their breathing. Inhalations are deep, vocalizations profound. This wind rents the mountains, breaks it to pieces before Yodhava. In a sense, our ego is like a rock, is petrified, stone. And with the sexual magic, you break the rock of the ego and free what is trapped inside. And also, earthquakes. When a man and woman are united with love, do they not quake? Do they not shake with yearning, with love? But even in just the sexual act alone, God will not be there unless we remember him. And after the earthquake of fire, because the fire of sexuality is the power of divinity, of the Holy Spirit. But even then, Yotavah, Jehovah, is not in the fire alone. But after the fire, a still small voice. So, who should guide the sexual act? It should be the voice of the silence. Intuition. It's not enough just to embrace with one's partner. It's important to be following the dictates of conscience. Which is why Uldino was present. His conscience, his intuition, when he has this dream. It is the power of the heart which elevates the fires of sex. The mind cannot do it, neither can the body. The heart is what accomplishes it. Attila relates his dream to Odino. We have here the image of Odin, Votan, Keter, the father of the gods, the heights. And 
Attila relates his inner astral experience confronting his own inner ancient of days, who teaches him to be humble. So Attila, again, the problem with this initiate is that while he has powers and abilities, strength and accomplishments, is arrogant. He thinks that he can do the work. We are not the ones who do the work. We do our part. The real master is the being. So he has this vision where he mentions how he wants to rebel before this giant, powerful figure who is his own inner god, Odin. Listen, my faithful one. While my soul seemed to swell before Rome, a huge old man appeared who grabbed my hair. My senses were overwhelmed. My hand froze on my sword, and he smiled in my face and commanded me in this way. You were appointed as a scourge only against mortals. Withdraw. The path is now closed. This is the land of the gods. Within me such words sound somber, even fatal, and the soul in Attila's breast is frozen with terror. So, Attila swells before Rome. He thinks that he can conquer the kingdom of love. But his being says, you cannot. Only divinity can. The being says, only I can do this. And while Attila wanted to fight, his inner being grabbed his sword and smiled because he is the mercy of mercies and says, withdraw. The path is now closed. This is the land of the gods because Tifereth, while accomplished through works against and spiritual wars against the ego within the Tzach, Hod, Yasad, Tiferet, or Malkut, the lower bodies, entering the higher regions of the tree of life, the land of the gods, is according to the will of divinity, not us. It says you have to withdraw, be humble. You can't enter here. There's many stories of masters of major mysteries in the Gnostic movement who have asked to enter the temples of mysteries, but have been denied because of their conduct, their arrogance. And they were told, you can't enter here. You're too proud. We have to be humble. But obviously the being invokes terror or evokes terror because to be in the presence of your inner kater is to be in great awe of his majesty. But, unfortunately, Attila, he returns to his physical body after the experience and says, nah, well, I'm going to do what I want. And this is his problem. Odino says, horror, and what do you think he will do? Attila states, now my senses are free. I flush from my fear. Call the druids, the leaders, the kings. Now, more rapidly than the wind, I will fly to you, wicked Rome. Beyond that boundary, I wait for you, O specter. Whoever could deny this to Attila, you shall see if fearful I would draw there, if the world will finally know me as Avenger. So he says, I'm going to do the work. I'm going to go to I'm gonna conquer Rome. I'm going to perfect Yassad, the forces of love. And at the boundary, meaning at the heights of the tree of life, the boundary between manifested reality and the unmanifested divinity. He says, I will find you at that boundary, O specter, and meet you there. This is the pass not ring mentioned by Blavatsky, where no one can enter without the will of God to go beyond the universe. Attila says, I'm going to do it. We'll see what, who humbles him is Leon, Pope Leo. This literally happened with the physical Attila the Hun. He was going to sack Rome, historically. Pope Leo came, talked to him, and stopped him. While this is a historical moment, a factual event, Verdi took this and transformed it into Kabbalah. One thing is the physical moment and the other is what it represents or could represent 
as a depiction within opera, because everything that happens in any work of art, of initiatic art, is intentional. Who is Leo? Pope Leo. His inner Kater. Leo is the lion. The lion of Judah. The top trinity of the tree of life. The cosmic Christ. The lion represents the forces of yod Hey, dalet vav Hey. You have Jehovah with Dalet in the center of his name. Dalet is the door, Da'at, the sacred knowledge of alchemy that is perfected within the, the being. So Yehuda, Jehovah with Dalet, means a master monad. Attila was already a master. He was self-realized in the past in this opera, but he fell. This is the case of Samal and Vior. And so he's trying to rise again. But again, like any master of major mysteries, with a lot of accomplishment, he became proud. Or the individual is proud. Pope Leo relates to the solar forces, the sun. Leo is a zodiacal sign, is the most elevated among the zodiac, and is the power of light, Christ. Devil Lion manifests in your dreams as a representation of the forces of Pope Leo, the Lion of Catancia, the superior law, the law of the gods. Not the law of mortals, but the law of initiates. Because there's karma for initiates, or better said, people in this physical world or common, and there's karma for gods who did the work before. So Pope Leo convinces Attila to withdraw historically. And in the opera you saw Attila the Barbarian, the master of the fifth initiation of major mysteries, became humble and kneeled. Because that's the right attitude. So what happens in this confrontation between Pope Leo and Attila? You see that as he's commanding his druids, his kings, his warriors to begin to sack Rome, you have the interjection of the children's chorus. This is very beautiful. The voice of children overcome the warriors of Mars. Come visit our minds. O spirit of creation, let the treasure of life rain on us from your forehead. Who are children, Kirubim, going to Yasod. These are angels, children, those masters who through innocence conquer lust, through purity conquer desire. And they say, let the treasure of life rain on us from your forehead. Who is the head in the body, as as well in Kabbalah? It's Keter. The head, if you take this image of the tree of life and put it over a human being, Keter is the crown. It's also the power of the solar, divine, omniscient mind of Christ. But Attila becomes alarmed because the power of peace overcomes the power of aggression. Persuasion is a much more crushing force than anger. Or coercion. This is not the echo of my trumpets. Open up there. Who is coming? The children continue. Illuminate our errant senses. Breathe love into our breasts. Overcome the enemy and spread the lovely serenity of peace. So Tifereth is the warrior. The human soul. Attila. But he must become more peaceful. It's ironic that or seem, may seem like a paradox that Tifereth is a warrior and yet must have serenity. How does a warrior have calm? Because this is a spiritual war. Tifereth does not conquer through aggression, coercion, the willpower of the soul. It does not win by violence, but by peace. But peace can be severe. Giburah, Odavella, who guards his, his uh, left side, is the sword of the law. And if any warriors have any power, they must conquer themselves with tranquility, with serenity. This force is not a force of exertion. 
the ego exerts, fights, challenges, conflicts with, with others. Serenity, which is a powerful solar and Venusian force, is what transforms. This is why Salman Rior said that we must learn to kiss the whip of our executioner. Until in the beginning, doesn't can't do it. He says, I'm going to conquer everybody. But he must kneel. And the children, the Kirubim, says, if you want to enter heaven, you must become like a child. Innocent, peaceful, pure. And so, Attila repeats, after meeting the Pope, Keter, because his inner being is a Pope of the Gnostic Church, a master, a self-realized being. But he fell. This is the, this is the case of Samal and Vior, especially, or any master from the Ray of Mars. Their being, Keter, could be a master, self-realized, but the human soul fell. So Dino, or Attila is terrified because divinity always calls us to account. Uldino, that is the sinister phantom. I want to defy him. Who is holding me back? Because that's his ego speaking. His ego is terrified. And really, if we have any vision or experience of our inner being, we may feel that strange paradox. Love and awe of the majesty of divinity, but also the ego, terrified. His being tells him again, you are appointed as scourge only against mortals. Withdraw. The path is now closed. This is the land of the gods. You can affect people down below as a master of major mysteries. You can apply karma to people if you are a hierarch of the law. But up above, the Pope says, I have command here. And the only way to enter is through peace. Humility. Become as little children, as it states in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 3. This image dictates or historically dramatizes Pope Leo confronting the Huns. And here, as an esoteric symbol, we see the hierarchs of the law of karma in the heavens with their swords of justice prepared to expel the barbarians. Meaning, our egos cannot enter heaven. Only the soul can, if it kneels. So Attila mentions that he had this vision of this great being, great God, the same words which the terrible vision impressed on my mind. No, this is not a dream which now invades my soul. There are two giants who fill the sky. Their eyes are flames, flames their swords. Their burning points touch me. Spirits stop. Here man withdraws. Before the gods, the king prostrates himself. So what is that vision of the heavens? We put a f image of God's foot on the astral horizon. Because we are not worthy to kiss the sandals of Keter. That's the words of given by someone on the or. And so who are those giants? Attila is a giant. He's a king. He's a demigod, he's a bodhisattva, a master. But beyond him is a really the giant, the being. Their eyes are flames, flames their swords. Their burning points touch me because the sword of heaven accuses us and says, if you wish to enter this temple, because they can talk to you in any experience in the astral where you want to enter a temple, they can point their sword at you. The guardian says, you wish to enter here, you have to obey the divine law. And if you say, okay, you humble yourself, they say, enter. But if we don't deserve it, they say, many are called, but few are chosen. So the king, fortunately, Attila, kneels this warrior bodhisattva because he knows it is necessary. The chorus emphasizes how the power of the humble is what conquers the kingdom of heaven. Behold the power of the eternal one. Goliath was defeated by a shepherd boy. Mankind was saved by a humble maiden. 
by unknown people, faith was spread. Before a devout and pious crowd, the king of the heathens now withdraws. What power is this? The king of the Huns prostrates on the ground for the first time. Goliath was slain by a shepherd boy, David. In the beginning of this work, we are weak, we are small, we are fragile, we are scared, we are overwhelmed, we have doubt. And yet with faith in God, a sling and a stone, a monster was slain. Mankind was saved by a humble maiden, our divine mother. She is the one who saves the soul. She does not self-aggrandize. She is humility itself. And is always there for us and waiting to guide us by the hand. By unknown people, faith was spread. Because in the beginning, this knowledge was given in secret. But also we see from the operas of the great masters. They may have been known terrestrially, but people didn't know what they were teaching. Symbolically. And also in these times, unknown people spread the faith. I mean, there's certain Gnostics which give their identity out in public, but there's some who don't. So they try to just give the knowledge anonymously for the benefit of others. But don't seek fame. And before a devout and pious crowd, the king of the heathen now withdraws. So the people are amazed. What power is this that can make a warrior barbarian kneel? And all of us, we are barbarians, the Gnostics. And if we become a king, a Melek, a Bodhisattva, we always have to remember that God is what is great. Alhamdulillah. All praises to God. If you have questions about the opera, I invite you to ask. Sure. Is the conflict in this first act of Attila having to wrestle with um, coming from like Odin, but then having to accept that no, it's actually. His conflict is that he has development. He has powers. He leads many kings. He's a great master. But he's proud. His being, his inner Odin, his inner Keter, is majestic. And no matter, no matter how great the Bodhisattva's accomplishments, it's nothing before divinity. Divinity is the one who gives power. And if we reach that point, we have to be careful with mystical pride. It's easy to become inflated with our own sense of self, with the spiritual, with spiritual accomplishments. So that's his dilemma. Is he going to be humble, eliminate all his pride, or is he going to become an even bigger, fatter demon? In the beginning of the second scene, uh, Attila's in his tent, and at the foot of his bed, there was a leopard skin. Can you explain that? Leopard skin is a, the sexual force, the animal that's been conquered. There's even images of Swami Shivananda meditating on a leopard skin, meaning it's a symbol. A master is one who controls the power of sex, which in the beginning is animal, nefesh. But through the work of resurrection and death, it becomes nefesh haya, a living soul. So my question is about Foresta's accusation of Odabella. He says, I saw everything. Does that imply that she did play with Attila, but she's loyal in her heart? Or why is he accusing her? I mean, what does he mean that he saw something? As a basic plot point, he doesn't sleep with Attila. She doesn't sleep with Attila. Foresto 
sees her in the party. So he sees her celebrating. They're all drinking, partying, having fun, enjoying the spoils of war. And so he accuses her, you know, in a, just as a plot point, you were having fun with a murderer. You were smiling at him. So he's jealous. He accuses her. Esoterically, because that master has a lot of ego, the energies of Ida get mixed. That serpent is the power of sex, which unfortunately in us has fallen. But even as it raises within a level of a master, there's still a bit of intermingling there. So long as the ego exists, there is impurity. And that's the great drama. God is saying, kill this beast, kill the ego within Attila. And Foresto is very jealous. My God is a very jealous God. Divinity wants all the parts of the soul to belong and return to him. So Foresto says, you want to be pure? Why are you mixing with this demon? And she says, have faith in me because I will be the one who kills the monster. Yes, so Judith in the Bible seduced Holofernes, who was a Assyrian king who was sieging Bethulia. And Nodobella says, I'm going to pretend to seduce this monster and I'm going to kill him by his own sword. And um, it's a symbol of killing the ego. Because any master of those heights loves Odabella. They love the pure sexual energy, but they're flawed. They may love Odabella, the beauty of Ida, risen, but that sword and energy is the one that's going to kill the initiates, the defects. So it's interesting. It's a bit of a love triangle. Everybody loves the power of sex, but do we love it purely or as a demon? You said that Foresto has a relationship with the elements. For us in our spiritual work, how are we supposed to work with that, with the elements in that sense? I mean, what is this opera teaching us about the elements through this character of Foresto? So the elemental advocate, we work with prayers, mantras. When you work with any plant, with elemental magic, you pray like to the aloe or the agave americana, you command your elemental advocate to work with the soul of the plant. You command with your elements, your control of your air, your mind, fire, your heart of devotion and the waters of transmutation and chastity and earth your body by actually performing the ritual. You learn to take or inspire the elemental to work for you, to work for the benefit of humanity. So for example, the elemental of the aloe is really good for many things. You can use the elemental to defend yourself against witchcraft. And that elemental will reject any negative element directed at us. So black magicians will often use the elements too, but within hell. They use the air of the mind, the fires of emotions, the waters of sex, and the earth, their body, to direct egotistical negative energy. And so the aloe, you can pray with your elemental advocate, remove this negativity from me. The elemental will cut it. And there's mantras and prayers for different plants. So we have that expertise in us through the elemental advocate. And Foresto is the part of our being that has gained accumulative knowledge of all the plants and elements of nature through our former development as a soul within the lower kingdoms, especially the plant kingdom. But uh, in a general sense, the opera is teaching us control your four elements. Be a master of yourself. But elemental magic especially is Implicit within Foresto. Sure. So I have a more of like a concept about Hostimos, this being, uh, just to clarify, it's a really high master of a higher self, correct? Like a lower self, what is this being doomed to constantly drag it down? That's the great drama. When an individual is born as a master in the higher worlds, the innermost being becomes a master. And if you create solar bodies, you basically open the door and put one foot in heaven. The problem becomes 
if that individual does not eliminate all of the ego, that soul will descend back down. If, they, if he fail or she fails, down into Kuipat. And the worst part is that solar bodies don't belong to hell. People who don't have solar bodies who descend into the inferno, who have lunar bodies, mechanical vehicles they acquire from nature, whether it's the Kamarupa, Manas, the mind, astral body, those people will disintegrate in those regions through the second death very quick in accordance with the level of ego. So if a normal person who doesn't have a lot of ego, they may be disintegrated in the course of a thousand years. Someone with solar bodies will take Maha Manvantaras because the solar bodies are vehicles given to us by Christ and they're the light of divinity. They don't belong in hell. But if that soul deviates and falls intentionally or chooses not to rise because of their lack of faith in the commitment they made, they descend into the infernal worlds and the solar bodies have to be disintegrated. Compare that disintegration between an apple and a piece of plastic. An apple will take a few days to naturally devolve because it belongs to nature. The solar bodies don't belong to nature. They're synthetic. Like plastic will take, plastic literally takes a long time to disintegrate because it's not natural to the environment. And that's a great punishment of fallen angels. If they chose not to, choose not to rise up and they have the solar bodies, then God says, this is your punishment. And will take many cosmic eras to disintegrate that. Very ugly. And that's what the dilemma, dilemma and danger of any master who enters this path. You create the solar bodies, but if you don't eliminate the ego, you're in a great pickle. That's the danger of the Hasnamus. So Hasnamus has to eliminate all the imperfection. And the way that he does it, like in the opera, you'll see Attila kneels to divinity. Unfortunately for him, Foresto, Odobella, Essio are plotting to kill him. Kill his ego. So that's the great drama. We'll find out whether Attila achieves it next week. Hypothetically speaking, right? Uh, if there is, a, if your friend is a hostilus, it's kind of like you're you're tied to someone, you're, you're tied to like a life of suffering, pretty much. Hostilusin. There's a lot of actually, in fact, there's a lot of hostilusin in the Gnostic movement mm -hmm. because some of these people who are into gnosis or have, in the past, created solar bodies. They're trying to work again, and they're sincere, but they're still Hasnamus, Musan. They have ego, they have to kill and eliminate. A Hasnamus is distrusted by divinity and also by the demons because they have light of Christ at some level developed in their being. They have a lot of power in heaven, but they have a double personality. That's the split personality mentioned in Biker Jeff. One personality belongs to the master, which is Hesed and Giburah, the spirit of the divine soul. And also the top trinity. This is the monad, the monad and the super monad. The being acquires initiations and powers, abilities, is a master, has a certain type of being that we call a solar personality. But unfortunately, there are individuals who they reach this level of Tifereth through initiation, but because they didn't eliminate the ego, they um, created a basically a second personality, which is evil. And that's the great split personality mentioned in the, or split between the, in the character of Skolnikov in Crime and Punishment. It's the same meaning. Yeah, it's the same thing. So one part of him is, is God, the other part of him is a demon. Split personality. So the master above could be heavenly and divine, but the human soul could be a demon. Now in the case of Attila, he is uh, rising. All, all of us, to some degree, are Hasnamusin because we have the being, which is sacred, but we also have a lot of ego. Now, we, whether we created solar bodies in this life or past lives or we don't have them, still there's levels of development. And there's degrees of Hasnamusin. Obviously, the worst kind of Hasnamusin are those, they actually did the work in the past, they killed all their ego, but they fell again. Some of them may have entered into black magic. Like Solomon. Solomon's inner being is a king. But 
the human soul fell. So those kinds of beings or people are, in a sense, not trustworthy. Because in one moment, their being could be acting through them. And the next moment, a demon comes up. Could you hold them responsible then? In a sense, yes. I mean, divinity is the one has to be, is the responsibility. But those kinds of beings have, you know, some of them maybe have a pers- a evil personality, a black magician personality, which is very well developed. And that's dangerous. Very, very negative. But some of them may be trying to change. The ones that are dangerous are the ones who don't want to change. And so Attila wants to change. He kneels before Pope Leo. So he creates the solar bodies. He's rising again. And he has the sense to kneel before his inner God. If he's too proud, being says, okay, go devolve. I'll wait till you're disintegrated. When there's no solar bodies left and there's no ego left, there's just the soul. Then you got to go back all the way through transmigration as a mineral, plant, animal, until you become a humanoid again. It's, a, it's very bad. I mean, that will take cosmic ages to happen. That's why in Buddhism they say oh, human, human life is very rare. It has to be taken advantage of. There are some beings in the Black Lodge who were once angels and they, they're choosing to descend down and be disintegrated. They choosing. choosing. Because they know that after however many trillions of years, they'll return as an essence back to Malkut, to the lower kingdoms. They'll do the work again, but at a higher octave. Because some of them want to gain more knowledge in the end. Because with more darkness is more light. But that's something very dangerous and very unnecessary. But that's the problem of a Hasna Moose. The big problem is that are they going to want to change? Do they have solar bodies? Are they going to eliminate the rest of their ego? Good. If they are, you can learn from them. But those who don't want to change, that's the problem. And these people who, in the Gnostic movement, are Hasna Moose and they don't, won't tell, they won't, I mean, at that level, they won't tell other people to the public because that's not a good thing. I mean, that kind of stuff is private. So if you discover in your meditations or work certain things about your being and your former development, I don't recommend talking about it to people. Well, that's something personal. Um, but yeah, I mean, are they trustworthy? You look in the opera. No one trusts Attila. Forces of heaven say he's a demon. The barbarians say, let's go along with him. But even then they question him. Even Odino questions him. Odino is his own conscience. You'll see later on how his own heart rebels. Everybody's against the Bodhisattva or the initiate who still has ego. Once the ego is dead, problem resolved. Well, descent is one thing. Falling is another. Okay. I recommend you study a lecture called The Archaeus, given by Salman Vior on Glorand Publishing's website. Because there's some, well, basically any master who self-realizes is told by divinity, obviously you've transcended sex, you don't need it anymore. Unless the being commands it. The being commands it, you return back to Malkut, you work with the forces he has sought again, the light withdraws, and therefore you can do the work again, but with no ego. It's different. Someone who falls is somebody who fornicates. And this is the story of the fallen angels. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? 
Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.